Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Henderson, and I'm the host of Alma Am I Racist? To find out more about the inception of Alma Am I Racist, please go to our website. You can also check out our other podcasts there as well. Alma Am I Racist.com. So I'm glad to have a returning guest, a many time returning guest, Christian A. Smith. Now you want to write this website down. Christian, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A-Smith.com. Christian with a K, ChristianASmith.com. Now, Christian does a lot of things. He wears a lot of hats. He is a spiritual image developer. So he wants his clients to look on the outside the way that they feel on the inside. And he owns a custom clothing business called P-Squared. So all of that you can find on his website. He recently wrote a fabulous book called Breaking All the Rules, which introduces greatest commandment theology as a framework for modern faith. In other words, let's run everything by the greatest commandment to love God, to love ourselves, and to love our neighbors. And he is also the pastor of the faith community. So without further ado, I would like to welcome you to Christian A. Smith, found on ChristianASmith.com. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again. Uh, I'm so glad that you were able to come back on with us. I know you are very busy and I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to about what's been happening over the past few days. And Christian, we need some help here. Oh, we, that's a, that's a tall order. When you say we need some help, who is the we? Well, the we is these white people. Um, what is wrong with people that are trying to say this is the same as Black Lives Matter and these people weren't treated any differently? You and I both know Black people would have never made it up the steps of that capital. Gotcha. Yeah, there are so many different directions to go with this. The, the thing that continues to play itself over and over again is false equivalencies. There are, that, that is so major in this entire discourse taking place it, in this country right now. That's a great expression, and I have heard it recently. Can you explain false equivalency. Right. We try to compare two things to each other that aren't equivalent, and we're forcing a parallel that does not exist. So I think about it in terms of how the Black Panther Party was once compared to the KKK. False equivalency. The Black Panther Party was not founded on violence. It was founded on resisting violence. And now Black Lives Matter is being compared to the KKK. Another false equivalency. And that happens constantly. I'll give you another example with what happened this week. And I try my best not to pay attention to uh, people making these false equivalencies because right now, uh, it's particularly this week, um, being black in America puts you in a constant state of rage. To be, to be relatively conscious and to be Black in America is to be in a constant state of rage. And I'm paraphrasing James Baldwin when I say that. Uh, and we look at the woman who was shot and killed as she was breaking into the Capitol, like climbing through a window, right? After they had already gone through barricades, entered the building, now there's this standoff. If you've seen the video, 
there are officers in this hallway with their guns out saying, do not come in this hallway. Do not come in this hallway. She has, she is breaking through a, a window and they shoot her to protect themselves. And I see people who are comparing that to George Floyd, false equivalency. George Floyd is at a store paying for goods and services with a good $20 bill. The store clerk believes it's a fake bill and calls the cops on him. The cops kill him when they arrive. And people are trying to compare our outrage about George Floyd to people needing to come to Ashley, is it Babbitt's defense? Like, yeah, while she's uh -huh. breaking into, it's a false equivalency. And I told my wife before I had this interview, I'm going to have to work really hard to not go off and get angry. Because seriously, right now, to be Black in America and be relatively conscious is to be in a constant state of rage. I, I'm with you, and I don't care if you go off. I went, I went nuts on Wednesday. I was so furious. And I posted it on Facebook, and then I was like, well, that's just not enough. I'm going to do a three-minute rant. And I did because I just thought, and now I get the false equivalency. It's like apples to oranges. Absolutely. If you go to kind of country, <laughs> country yeah. terms, uh, false yeah. equivalency is fancier. But... <laughs> we should be furious. I mean, that was my very first thought is I'm watching it. It's like watching the planes go into the side of the buildings. Like this can't be happening. If these right. were black people, they'd all be dead. Speak, so some, I, speak some truth, get mad, go on. So I want to speak to that because the problem here is white supremacy. And I didn't say white people. I said white supremacy because those are two different components. Good. Explain uh, so, that, please. So white supremacist ideology permeates every fabric of this country. It's in the education. It's in finance. It's in the stock market. It's in our theology, which is why breaking all the rules is so important to me. The book that I, that I wrote and, and Greatest Commandment Theology. When you talk to Black people who try to downplay the white identity of the insurrectionists, it's because they are also products of a white supremacist culture. Ah. We're all products of a white supremacist culture. We have to actively work to deprogram ourselves from white supremacy. So when people don't want to confront the uncomfortable truth of white supremacy, they like to find black people who are also white supremacists and say, see, look, here's a black person who's a, who agrees with me. So when I talk about white supremacy, I'm not talking about just white people. Yes, white people started it. White people continue to bask in its glory, but people of color hold it up as well, oftentimes. Okay, so like Morgan Freeman, like Herschel Walker, some, some of these people that are like, I made it, what the hell's wrong with the rest of you? Absolutely. You Thank know, the you. Ex yeah. okay. you know, the exceptional Negroes who uh, say, well, everybody else should be able to do the same thing that I did. You know, everybody doesn't have world-class talent in an area that society upholds. Everybody uh, doesn't have the same access 
to resources. Yeah, everybody has the same 24 hours in the day, but everybody doesn't have the same access to resources that they can optimize in that 24 hours. And we can't put the, the expectation that everybody's gonna be a Morgan Freeman, everybody's gonna be a Herschel Walker, everybody's gonna be a Barack Obama, right? And I'm not saying that to say that Barack Obama is in the same category as Morgan Freeman with like downplaying right. racial injustice. I'm talking about the exceptionalism. Like, you know, there are only so many people who can be the president. So we can't say, look, Barack Obama was the president, so now Black people don't have any excuses. That's white supremacy language. So at the root of all this is white supremacy. I'm fully convinced. Even when you look at what happened on Capitol Hill, there, there are two things, two major things at play here. You got policing and you have the voting process. When we think about both and their history in this country, both were used as tools of white supremacy. Many police forces throughout the country uh, find their origins in slave patrol. So at its origin, policing was to keep the Black people in check. So police, for their entire history, have protected affluent white communities and patrolled poor Black communities and other communities of color. So one community is protected another community is patrolled. That's why so many affluent white people have a hard time understanding why black people have such issues with law enforcement. That's because they're protecting you and patrolling us as if they're protecting you from us. So Right, there you right, go. Right, so you have this issue of policing being a tool of white supremacy, but even voting. Voting was a tool of white supremacy. When we started the voting process in this country, go back and look at our history. Voting was initially only granted to property-owning white men. So voter suppression is baked into the system. We've been trying to unsuppress voting for the entire history of this country. So it makes it hard for people to even see how voter suppression works because it's so baked into the system, we don't even know that it's there half the time. So you have people who are storming the Capitol, who are in cahoots with police. I saw so many videos of people taking selfies with police officers, being escorted off the premises by police officers, police officers opening doors and letting them in, waving them on. I'm not talking about what somebody told me. I'm talking about what I saw with my eyes. Exactly. And now they're arresting some of these people that were had their badges covered up or uh, weren't in police uniforms that turned out to be police officers from all over the country. Yes. So they're, this, they're part of the same game. Exactly. That's why it's infuriating. Black people have been saying this for our entire existence in this country. Our entire existence in this country, we've been saying the same thing. And every generation of white supremacists has the same rebuttal. And they always want to look back to the past and say, look how far we've come. But we're still dealing with the same stuff. We're still dealing with the same stuff. Well, and I, I can't help but feel like there's not a coincidence between Georgia going completely blue presidentially 
and Ralph Warnock and John Ossoff being elected and the results being declared on Wednesday and a riot three hours later. Oh, absolutely. It took all of the glory and the excitement and the fun out of that victory. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you think about Georgia turning blue and the implications that has, and when you think about the presidential election and how black people showed up and had a major impact on this election, <laughs> we have been so suppressed from voting in our history that when we show up to vote in large numbers, the only explanation people have is that they must have cheated. It can't just be that we have incredible people who organized and made sure that people that look like me went out and voted. No, they, they must have cheated. That's because you haven't seen us vote like this. We're, we're here. We just haven't been voting. Now there are people who are organizing the vote. And, but, and, oh, that, it must be cheating. And Stacey Abrams, shout out to Stacey Abrams, has yes. made it very apparent to white people what black people have been knowing, which is this suppression is real and it happened on so many levels. Yes. We have actual evidence of how the election was stolen from Stacey Abrams. Like there's verifiable evidence of voting records that were suppressed by the secretary of state who was running for governor. So you have a person who controls the voting process, who is running for an office, like automatic conflict of interest. So what happens is false equivalency, people will say, well, just like y'all said, Stacey Abrams was robbed, so was Trump. Where's the evidence? There's no evidence whatsoever. It's just that people showed up to vote and you can't believe it. So you just make false uh, accusations with no evidence. Well, I do feel very sad for Ralph Warnock, Raphael Warnock and, and John Ossoff not being able to fully experience the beauty of, of that moment. And for all of the people, black people and white people that woke up and said, this is important. I mean, that, that made me angry because I was on the phone with a friend of mine from church that morning and she was like, are you wearing your blue lipstick? I was like, oh, my hair's blue, my nails are blue. I'm so, <laughs> and then, you know, six hours later, we're on the phone. Everybody's just mortified that this happened. Okay, Christian. So Van Jones said something interesting. He said, this is either like a death gasp or it's birth pangs of something. And I'd like to know, do you think this could be the beginning of the end, shining the light on white supremacy? Or is it showing, here's what white supremacists can get away with? Here's what white supremacists can get away with. I have no faith in this country to really overcome white supremacy. So I, I, I can't get excited like, oh, you know, this is the beginning of the end. We're really going to dismantle white supremacy. White supremacy is so baked into the culture of this country. I don't have faith in this country to overcome white supremacy anytime soon. So I believe that a number of great things are happening, but the white people who stormed the Capitol were just pawns of a white supremacist system. 
they don't really have the power. They're being used by people who have the power. If we arrest everyone who stormed the Capitol on Wednesday, all the power will still stay in the same hands. So I'm not convinced at all. I would love to be wrong. And, and maybe this is just my pessimism in response to the events of this week, but I have no faith whatsoever in this country to overcome white, white supremacy because a lot of it is also rooted in our two-party system. Yes. And we're not having any conversations about getting rid of the two-party system. So when we talk about how you uh, divide and conquer, when you want to divide and conquer, you divide into two. You create binaries. It has to be this or that. There's nothing in the middle. If you want to divide and conquer people, remove all the gray. It's black or it's white. And there you go. That's a, another example of a false equivalency because that really isn't the way the world is. Everything in truth is shades of gray. Absolutely. It happens in, with race. Our generation is beginning to see more and more. It happens with gender, with sexuality. It happens in politics. Very few people are fully aligned with the Democratic Party or fully aligned with the Republican Party. Very few people are fully aligned with any political candidate or person holding office. There are all types of shades of gray. I, you know, I'm grateful that Joe Biden won the election, but I wasn't excited. I'm not no. excited about Joe Biden. He's the, I'm, this is the most unexcited I've ever been about an a, a, a incoming president because he, he did nothing in his, in his campaign to suggest that he was actually going to affect change. The only thing he promised us was that he would beat Trump. So he's made good on his promise, <laughs> but we got a two-party system. And I could get excited about Kamala Harris. So I think what we can hope for in four years is Kamala Harris will be running for president. I am incredibly excited about the symbolism of Kamala Harris. For graduates of historically black colleges and universities, I'm excited about the symbolism of seeing a graduate of Howard University sitting in the office of vice president. I am excited for women to see the symbol of Kamala Harris as the vice president, seeing a woman sitting in that office. I am excited for people of color, seeing a person of color sitting there as the vice president of the United The first woman, the first person of color, the first graduate of uh, HBCU as the vice president. I'm excited about that. But that is as far as my excitement goes. It's symbolism. So until I see yeah. Kamala do something substantial, I, my excitement goes no further than the symbol of her presence as the uh, vice president. Well, and I think, you know, time will tell. I think at this point, everybody's so damn shell-shocked. It's like being in the ER and you see the doctor and it's like, oh, thank God the doctor's here. I, I just think we're so wounded. And so there we go. I'm going to go to the pastor side of you. Your book, Breaking All the Rules, which I have loved and enjoyed and have recommended because you. you boil it down to a very simple way of looking at things. Not that the book is simple by any stretch, um, <laughs> but you, you break it down to the greatest commandment as opposed to, well, what does the Bible say about that? So Correct. if we run all of this through the greatest commandment theology, where do we go from here, Christian? 
So if we run it through greatest commandment theology at its core, it requires us to express our love for God and how we love our neighbors as ourselves. And in this particular context, neighbor means fellow human. So I actually talk about it in the book. Uh, I talk about the concept of privilege, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, particularly white people, because the conversation is usually centered around white privilege. But I believe the greatest commandment calls us to sometimes sacrifice our privilege for the sake of those who do not share in that privilege. But you first have to acknowledge that you have privilege. And therein lies the problem. Most white people don't even acknowledge white privilege. Yeah. I mean, what is that about? I mean, is it like the alcoholic doesn't want to admit they're an alcoholic? I think I'm an alcoholic, so I can say that. I'm a recovering (laughs) alcoholic. And that's the disease of denial. Oh, I don't have this. Racism. Oh, I don't have this. Right. Because people generally look at privilege as benefits that are granted to you. And that's white people's favorite argument against white privilege. No, nobody gave me anything. I had to start from the bottom. I grew up poor. I grew up in the projects. I grew up in this uh, poor community and I went to school with black kids and so on and so forth. Cool. I acknowledge that. I'm not even attempting to argue against your lived experience. The major component of white privilege is your immunity, your immune, because you don't know what you're immune to because it doesn't affect you, right? My wife and I, you know, our bodies function differently. I have a really strong stomach, so I can eat something and feel just fine. She'll eat the exact same thing and she'll feel sick. She'll feel sick to her stomach. And, you know, it, it may be that whatever we ate, it, it may have affected somebody else the same way it affected her. But for me, I just don't feel it. I'm immune to it. It's like it doesn't even exist. So that's a lot how white privilege exists. What happens is if my wife says, oh, that hurt my stomach. And I say, well, no, I ate the same thing. So you must be making it up because my stomach doesn't hurt. We ate the same Great thing. analogy. Great yeah. analogy. Yeah. It didn't affect me. So you must be making it up. You're lying. I don't believe that your stomach hurts because my stomach doesn't hurt. And that's how white privilege works. Well, I've never had an issue with police. So you're lying about how the police have mistreated you. I've never had an issue finding my voting precinct. So you're lying about how difficult it is for you to vote because it's always been easy for me. Uh, let, let Let me look at it this way looking at what happened at the Capitol. People who are looking at what happened at the Capitol and try to downplay the white privilege ingrained into that will talk about a Black Lives Matter protest as if it happened the same way. Like Black Lives Matter has never done anything near what those white people did. And every Black Lives Matter protest, tear gas is dispersed, rubber bullets are shot, people are loaded onto buses and taken to jail. They escorted people down the steps of the Capitol after they, after they broke into the Capitol. They Probably gave them, them a out. sandwich and a bottle of water. The same way they bought Dylan Roof a Burger King after he massacred people in a black church. 
I, I, to me, it's just so glaringly apparent. And I, when I wrote my I'm Furious rant, and I had someone respond with, well, 90% of the Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful. And I'm thinking, well, it was really a lot more than 90%, but, and, you know, taking TVs out of a Target. And I was just like, how can you compare taking TVs out of a Target to breaking into vandalizing the Capitol building with the intent to stop an election? I, it's just like, now there you go. That's a false equivalency, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Apples think- to oranges. Absolutely. I've seen I've seen interviews of people who are a part of this insurrection on Wednesday. One one kid in particular, it, it's so interesting. They're angry and don't even know why. When you when you listen to the interviews, they don't even know why they're angry. I think oppression is like popular now. Everybody wants to be oppressed because you get extra attention if you're oppressed, I guess. So you, there was this kid. And I, I say kid because he looked young, but he might not be that young. I mean, I don't look as old as I am. So he, he might be in his 20s. And he's giving this interview about how he saw Ashley Babbitt get shot. And he said out of his own mouth, she was trying to break through the window and they told her don't come any further. And she kept going. So they shot her. And he showed he had a, a bruise on the palm of his hand right and he was like see look at this we got to stop them because this could be you or your child little bruise on his hand after he broke into the capitol he had a bruise on his hand he walked out of there he didn't get arrested he had a bruise on his hand to say this could be you or your family your child and my thought was damn it i would be so grateful if that was me if, if that's all my, you got, yeah. If I took my black ass to the Capitol and tried to break in and I walked away with a bruise on my hand, I would be ecstatic that that's what I walked away with. You'd be on the cover of Time magazine. I'd be a hero. <laughs> Who is this black man that stormed the Capitol and only walked away with a bruise on his hand? That is incredible. How did he do that? We have never seen anything like this before in our lives. But when a thousand white people did it, they tried to act like, oh, they're... They're, they're oppressing us. Don't tread on me. And, and this, this kid said, I mean, they just, they're just killing whoever they want. We got to stop them. They're just, they're killing us. And the interviewer said, who is they? He didn't even know. Yeah, know exactly. He was like, uh, uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, the, <clears throat> the Congress and uh, uh, the Senate and, and the police. The fact that he said police is so interesting because he is the same person who would be screaming Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, what happened to that when they were sitting there and they squashed that policeman's head in the door that they finally released that video? Where's that? White supremacy. It was never about the cops. It was never about protecting blue lives. It's about protecting white supremacy. Police officers are a tool to uphold white supremacy. When white supremacists feel like even police officers are standing against them and their white supremacy, they'll turn on the police because it's not about the police. It's about upholding white supremacy. So the police were only good for them when they were against the black people. Absolutely. So as soon as they went against 
the white police went against the white people, then they were no longer useful. Correct. Okay. Correct. So what you saw on video, again, this is not speculation or conjecture or just rhetoric. We saw on video police officers welcoming in the insurrectionists. And I, I have a very dear friend who worked on Capitol Hill. He is very familiar with that building. And he, and he said to me, just like many other people have said, that is a confusing building. It is very difficult to navigate the Capitol. And they did that intentionally. He said there are certain offices, he's been there a hundred times and there are certain offices he still doesn't know how exactly to get to them. But somehow these people that stormed the Capitol found the speaker's office. Oh, they said they had plans to the tunnels and they, they were more, some were much more organized than they appeared to be. And there, there were people who were present that said the Capitol Police, some of them were showing them where to go. And this is, the, maybe I've been watching too many crime shows about police anti-corruption, but there was something that just rang to me so true. This was an inside job in, in many ways. The fact that the National Guard weren't allowed to be called out. You know, you think D.C., you can't, I can't even imagine the amount of security that is present on a normal day. Now, they knew this was coming. I mean, half the world knew this was coming. They've been talking about it for weeks. So what, now, here's the creepy thing. Donald Trump is a TV guy. Mm Mm-hmm. This was not the season finale. No, this is just the beginning. Donald Trump isn't going anywhere. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. Like, he's not going to be the president after the 20th. But what we're watching is a real life cult of epic proportions. Wow. Yes, epic proportions. What a great way to wrap up this podcast. Christian, you rock. Uh, You tell it like it is. You don't pull any punches. And I love that about you. ChristianASmith.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A-Smith.com. You can find out everything you need to know about Christian, who is an author of Breaking All the Rules. He's the pastor of the faith community, and he's also the owner of P-Squared Clothiers. So without further ado, we're going to wrap it up, and we'll continue with Christian next week to talk further about what happened in the Capitol, what white people need to know, and what does he think is going to happen going forward from here. I'm Lisa Smith Henderson. I am the host for Alma Am I Racist? If you'd like to drop me a line, please feel free to do so. The email address is almaamiracist at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about Alma Am I Racist, you can go to our website and also hear other podcasts there, including other ones with Christian. The website address is Alma amiracist.com. Thanks for listening and join us again next week for Christian A. Smith, a continuation.